Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Today's topic is learning to live again after loss. Alan Peterson is an award-winning singer-songwriter, having spent several years writing music in Nashville, Tennessee. Alan has had several songs recorded by other artists and has worked as an actor, stand-up comedian, and in radio as a network news and sports reporter for a national radio network. In August of 2001, Alan's 18-year-old and only daughter, Ashley, was killed in an automobile accident. This painful event would change his life completely. In 2003, Alan recorded a CD about his painful journey through grief, and it was titled Ashley's Songbook. In 2006, he released another CD of original songs a little farther down the road about learning to live again after loss. Alan plays music and speaks about surviving parental grief to organizations and churches across North America, and he will soon release a book titled Learning to Live, Laugh, and Love Again After Loss. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I, I listened to your CD over and over for the last two days, and I've got to tell you, it's, it's very powerful and moving. Thank you. It's wonderful, and we're hoping that um, if everything works out correctly, we will be able to hear part of that CD. If not, Alan will probably have to play and sing for us. You <laughs> might have to do it a cappella. That's a big word for me, but I think that means without any, without any <laughs> band behind me. Yeah. Right. That would be great. So, uh, Alan, why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about your daughter, Ashley. I will do that. Let me say something. Uh, first of all, though, the email that you just read from uh, Diane in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, she, now she lost her 18-year-old daughter, Ashley, uh, and on May 16th, and that is my Ashley's birthday. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Isn't so, that ironic? Yes. Yeah, so after the show, if you will get me her email mm-hmm. uh, or somehow I can get in contact with her, I want to send her a couple of CDs and maybe uh, a little help along the topic that she wanted to know. What was your question to me again now that I'm so rudely interrupted? (laughs) That would be wonderful for you to do that. Um, Yes. I'm sure she would appreciate it. I just wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about your daughter, Ashley. Absolutely. Uh, My daughter, Ashley, was 18 years old when she was was killed in an automobile accident on her way uh, to California from Colorado. We live in Denver. she just was an amazing child, She's very creative like myself, uh, would have been a terrific writer, had an interest in journalism. She was my best friend. We could fight like cats and dogs, and, and, and yet we were as close as, uh, as could be. And, you know, losing her in August of uh, 2001, uh, I just didn't realize you know, I, I didn't know where it would take my life. I didn't think I had a life after losing Ashley. She was my only daughter and my biggest fan, and it left such a big hole in my life. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I think the impact that she had on me in those 18 years, each year that passes, I just learned a little bit more how much she taught me in those 18 years that she was here. Mm-hmm. Well, it sure hasn't been very long for you either, Alan. No. It hasn't. And you know what's interesting to me in reading about your background and hearing your story right now is that 
you were in such a painful place, and now you're in such a different life space. Absolutely. You know, it's um, and and it's that's probably the the, the gift. You know, I remember when I uh, first lost Ashley, and I first began to go to the compassionate friends and go through grief counseling, and people would talk about the gift that our the gifts, in fact, that our children leave behind for us. And, you know, I always, it was hard to see that early on, but as time goes by, I'm able to, to not only see the gifts but embrace those gifts and to find, you know, a new path where grief has taken me. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. Um, I believe that I'm so incredibly blessed that I really get to carry Ashley with me every day. She's part of what I do, the work I do now, uh, and the music. So that's been an amazing thing, but, but to get to this point was a long, hard road, um, as every parent who's lost a child can imagine. Mm-hmm. How has it changed your writing? I mean, you were writing before, weren't you? Yeah, I've, I've written songs my, my whole life, and it's an amazing, you know, I always use the word amazing, but I mm-hmm. think back, I used to live in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and my goal in life, it seemed like my dream, was just to write a, a song that another artist would um, would make popular, would make famous. I never saw myself as the singer so much as I wanted to be the writer because I enjoyed so much writing words. And I, I think about those four and a half years I spent in Nashville. Now, were you, were you working there in the music business? Yes. I was uh-huh. writing writing songs with other artists and with other writers. And, you know, we were just trying to write that great song mm-hmm. for somebody else. I was always writing somebody else's story. And I think the biggest difference is is after Ashley died... I began writing just for myself, first of all. I didn't write to say I'm going to go do a CD and travel and play music. And for the first time in my life, I began to write about something so incredibly real that I didn't write it, you know, worrying about how it sounded or how it came out. I just wrote it directly from my soul and from my heart, and it certainly changed the impact of the music I write. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been an amazing thing as well. Mm -hmm. So you really found that uh, you found a new voice, would you say? Absolutely. Or a depth or a new world? Absolutely. How do you? How would you describe it? People always talk about there was then and then there's now. Or Absolutely. You know? Well, I think the first thing is, is that I wrote songs with no intention other than just to voice what I was feeling. When I first began writing songs, it was about a year after I'd lost Ashley, and I really just did it for myself. And when I would first write these words, the first song I wrote was a song called I Remember You. Mm-hmm. And I could barely mouth the words to myself. I could barely sing it to myself. And then eventually I would, you know, I had the courage to share them with another bereaved parent. And um, just the way I looked at music, music used to be a business. And now it just became about telling a story that I felt needed to be told. Not only my story, but in time, the story of, of all parents and families who lose a child. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about the first year, because we've got some folks out there that are in the first year. Well, what about your creativity that year? Uh, it was limited uh, to some degree. You know, I really believe that when I lost Ashley, I was so angry mm-hmm. at God and at the world that I didn't believe I would ever write music again. Certainly would I ever play it or do stand-up comedy or do... Uh, Theater, you know, I, I was mm-hmm. so angry. The first year, I was very hard on myself. I lived very recklessly. Um, you know, I couldn't see hope, and 
you know, I always tell people that, you know, the first thing that we look for, the reason that we listen to, to this program, the reason that we go to the Compassionate Friends or buy books, is the first thing we're seeking is hope of some type. Mm-hmm. And it took a while for me, I'll be honest with you, I would say about nine months before I even considered that there could be hope. Right, or the idea that you'd survive. Yeah, I really didn't think I would survive. And, and looking back at the, the careless way that I lived, I really believed as uh, I had a conversation in Los Angeles with a mutual friend of ours, Kitty Edler, a few weeks yes. ago. And, mm-hmm. and she was talking about, and she said it really well, she said, uh, you know, she wasn't trying to necessarily commit suicide, but she wasn't going to stop, stop uh, you know, God from taking her. And, and right. that's kind of how I was, too. It's like, you know, what's the point? Of me living, so it was very difficult in those darkest times. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the pain was so intolerable that it was hard when you wrote your first song for you to even mouth the words. Absolutely, and you know, I, I knew, I consciously knew, in my first six months, especially, that I could not, I would not live very long with the amount of pain that I was carrying. Mm-hmm. I knew that for a fact, and you know, I was never the type of person to to. to go to a counseling or to go to, uh, you know, group things was not me. But I was so in fear of this because I knew that it, that it could and probably would take my life that I just kind of opened myself up and said, you know, this thing is so much bigger than I am that mm-hmm. I need some help. And thank God that I did that because, uh, you know, I, it took me to a, a much different place today than I might have been. Well, it's time to come up on break now, and uh, one of the things that I want to hope that we can do is maybe uh, play one of Alan's songs, and I hope it'll be remember. I Remember You. Did you pick a song for the CD to play on the show today? Now, Alan? of course, I did pick a song, but actually it's, it's, it's a hopeful one. The first one I want to play, it's called A Little Farther Down the Road. Uh, well, my newest CD I just released is called A Little Farther Down the Road, and I released Ashley's songbook, and it was such a personal and, and in, in, in many ways painful, a lot of, you know, a lot of the emotions that I would have gone through in the first couple of years. And while it had some songs of hope on it, it really, it was just real. It was parental grief in its first two years. My uh, second CD is just more of a look, just like the title says, from a little farther down the road, uh, when I had found hope and, and when I also had began to share in the lives of so many other parents who lost children. Many of these songs are written not just for my own loss, but for the families uh, that I've gotten to know uh, over the last few years. And uh, so it's just a look at grief from a little farther down the road. And by the way, you'll also be able to, we'll tell you uh, a little later in the show how you can get um, Alan's earlier uh, CD, if that's the place you're in now. And the great thing would be to have both of them, and then you could listen to one where you're sad and one where you're a little further down the road. That is true. Yeah, it kind of moves you uh, from one place to the other. That's what I was thinking. It really documents somebody's journey through grief and through the grief process over time. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. So we're going to hear uh, one of your songs right now, and can you tell our audience which one it is? And... I think it's a, it's a little farther down the road, and this is uh, it's the title song of the new CD. It's the first song I wrote uh, for it, and it just um, it's just realizing that, you know, I've been in your shoes, it's really written for people that are newly in grief um, to say that, you know, a little farther down the road you will see the sun again, and uh, and that's really the basis of it. Okay, let's hear it. 
Know those tears you're crying I've been in your shoes You feel like there's no use in trying Like there's nothing left to lose You take one step forward Move two steps back You may not see it now But it won't always be like that A little farther down the road You'll see the sun again A little farther down the road You look back at where you've been And you'll see how far you've come And you'll find the strength to go A little farther down the road This journey is not easy It's a winding road Filled with twists and turns But you can make it Believe me In time You learn A greater love Comes from your deepest pain And there's power in that love To help you rise again A little farther down the road You'll see the sun again A little farther down the road you look back at where you've been And you'll see how far you've come And you'll find the strength to go A little farther down the road It's holding on, it's bittersweet It's healing slow Then finding peace A little farther down the road You'll see the sun again A little farther down the road you look back at where you've been And you'll see how far you've come And you'll find the strength to go A little farther down the road You'll see how far you've come And you'll find the strength to go Great. Wow, that was wonderful, Alan. Uh, absolutely touching. Thank you so much. Great. I, I'm sure Ashley, wherever she is, is thrilled with that. That's got to go through the universe. Well, that, it really touched my heart. It's such an important message for newly bereaved, too. Well, thank you, and that is, uh, you know, that's really my message now is my, I have such a heart and such a compassion for the newly bereaved because, um, you know, each time I go to my own chapter of the Compassionate Friends or whenever I play and speak and meet people that are newly bereaved and see that fresh face of grief, you know, it just reminds me of, of, of why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a few people who can... Uh, who can sit down with somebody in that uh, that's in that place and and look them in the eyes and say, you know, I have been in your shoes, 
and, uh, and and because we can do it, you know, we must do it. I've heard that said many times, and so the, um, I, I never want to forget that what that mm-hmm. feeling of new grief is is like because it it does remind me of of how far I've come, mm-hmm. and 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 in that there's a blessing that I have been able to move down the road, and I'm always thankful for that. Now, what are you? Well, I was wondering uh, what your kids think about it, and your um, I don't know, are you married? Your wife? My significant other. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's. The, well, you know, uh, I have so much incredible support uh, for the music from my family and friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just uh, it, that really helps. They totally support what I do and uh, the times that I'm gone and on the road. And I think it, the music has helped us all heal. I really do. Now, who was that singing with you? Oh, she's an incredible singer-songwriter friend of mine named Marcy Baruch, and uh, she just came in, and uh, she's just amazing. She's got yes, a beautiful wonderful. voice. She's on several songs on the new CD. Yeah, it's lovely, lovely very lovely voice. Okay. It must it must have uh, taken her back to sing it, doesn't it? Some of the things she sings with you, it must be uh, well, very she's heartfelt. A, she's an amazing person, and, you know, I, I gave her the songs and, and uh, the words and kind of some, uh, a rough, um, what we call a rough mix of the songs. She took them for about a week. She's an, uh, a music major, so she, she writes music incredibly. And she just came back into the studio, and when it was time to do her harmonies, she came over and kissed me on the cheek and <laughs> said, Alan, this is for Ashley. And uh, just went in and just was amazing with these uh, harmonies. So I really appreciate her work on it very much. That is wonderful. Do you ever break up when you're singing, and especially the Compassionate Friends things? It just, oh. It's, uh, That's probably the most common asked question that I get. You know, I I stay pretty um, pretty focused in the fact that I I really am trying to be there for mm-hmm. the for the people, and so uh, early on it was very difficult to do. But when I do break up, is normally after I'm done playing and speaking, and I always ask. Everybody that's there, I say, you know, I don't care whether you buy a CD tonight or if you want to donate to the expenses of this show. That doesn't matter to me, but you've been so gracious to sit here for an hour and listen to me talk about my Ashley and my walk through grief. Please don't leave here without letting me hear about your child and your walk through grief. And it's, and it's in those stories uh, where the real power is. It's, it's from the people that come and see me and the, the courage in their lives that they face every day, just just like I have, uh, that's what inspires me. Now, now that's kind of what uh, leading into your book, right? Yes, I am. Uh, have you you've written a book, haven't you? Yeah, I've written uh, several books, and Heidi and I just finished one for teens. Mm-hmm. Well, God bless you, because let me tell you something. I'm learning about a book. That's a lot of words you got to type. You laugh, you know. I mean, I come from the radio news business, where everything is you're trying to tell a big story in 30 seconds. Or in music, you've got to tell your story in three to four minutes. Now I'm writing a book where you can just go on and on and on. But, yes, it's a, it's a terrific experience. And what I'm doing is I'm writing a book not based on my life story. I, I tell people jokingly that if I were writing a book about my life, it would be like five or six pages, and then I would have to start putting recipes in there, you know, just to fill the space. <laughs> I like that. Now, you two laugh, but I've got some good recipes. I had some killer <laughs> meatballs this last weekend. So, no. What I'm doing with the book is I I didn't want to write a book just to write a book, but I wanted to wait until I had something to say. And as I've been out playing music over the last couple three years, 
the real story to me is other parents who have lost children. And I, I guess I've always been a journalist, even in comedy and in radio and in songs. My real curiosity was just the world and looking at the world. And as I began to go uh, through my walk through this journey, I just began to look at parents who lost children and those that were successfully moving through their grief. And I kept saying to myself, what is it? That these people have wanted to say that uh, we've got Lou Cox on, I do believe. Do we, Lou? Yes, good morning. Hey, Lou, how are you? Um, I'll reread for those folks who weren't on. It's great to have you on the show, Lou, because Lou, I asked him if, if he'd call in today, and I uh, emailed Diane from Alabama and said that I'd try to get Lou on the show. Uh, uh, Diana, Diane sent us this email. It's short. Uh, my daughter, Ashley, at age 18, was murdered um, May 16th of 2004, and I became the headlines in the news. My family and I are still very private people, and now we have the trial coming up, and I'm sure we're going to have more media attention. Now, Lou's on, and Lou is founder and director of the Violent Crimes Victim Service in Tacoma, Washington, and Lou has extensive experience as a homicide victim advocate peer court companion and support group facilitator. And his, uh, he is a survivor of the murder of his 22-year-old daughter, Carmen, in 1987. He's also author, along with Bob Bauer, of a book called Coping with Traumatic Grief and Homicide. Lou, do you have some advice for Diane about the press or from our other folks out there that may be having this come up? Well, well, yes, I do. Uh, you know, over the last 15 years, uh, I've certainly encountered uh, the, the the press uh, uh, with uh, families that I've worked with, and, and many of the high-profile cases. Of course, there's all kinds of press. Uh, you know, the the print media, mm-hmm. the TV press, and uh, and uh, one of the cases I worked with was the Green River Killer case, where that was international press, and that was quite a challenge uh, working with the families in the press. Mm-hmm. And uh, the unfortunate thing is that uh, when uh, a loved one is murdered, uh, many times it becomes a high-profile case or even a low-profile is that our our lives, which are you know, basically unassuming and private, now become public. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's very difficult to escape, uh, you know, the the media because the the, the me- media has has a right uh, to. Uh, you know, obtain an interview uh, from a, a family of a murder victim or write a story uh, using any source they can find. If they can't get it from the uh, from the, the victim's family or co-victims, then they'll, they'll get it from the police reports uh, and uh, other sources. And if a family is willing to step up and even though it's challenging, is to give a statement that is uh, accurate because many times uh, the the print media and TV they get things inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, uh, Al- I want to tell you, Lou, that Alan Peterson is on here. Have you heard him? You know, Alan. You've met sure. Alan, right? Sure, I met him in Vancouver uh, last summer. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to do is include Alan in this discussion because he used to be a reporter also. So, anytime you want to jump in, Alan. Well, actually, Lou just just hit the nail on the head. I think when you can come out and make a brief statement, because as a reporter, we have a job to do, and part of that job is to, is to cover what the family maybe is going through, what their opinion is, especially when it comes to sentencing and those type of things. But I agree with him. If you have a family spokesman, that's mm-hmm. one good thing. But come out and make a brief statement that is accurate, exactly like he says, that's accurate, and they're going to look for the who, what, where, when, and why of what you're feeling and just briefly say that and then ask for your privacy. And when 
there's another pressing issue, they will uh, they will come to you again. But to completely avoid the media is probably more work than it's worth. It's actually harder, wouldn't you agree, Lou, than than just coming forward and getting yeah. a brief statement? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you uh, give the statements an issue, let's just say a start of a trial. And if you mm-hmm. give a statement initially, uh, then they're going to be a piece and they're going to uh, back off and leave you alone. Also, uh, this has uh, happened many times as we'll, uh, we'll inform the, uh, the, uh, the media is that the family will make a statement at the end of the trial, you know. And so that will give them that, uh, that space and be insulated from them knowing that they will give one at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as a person whose child was killed in an automobile accident, uh, you know, for a few days you've got the media in your life too. You know, even if there's not a trial, you know. Absolutely. They're coming to your house. They want to record things. They want to know what's going on. They want to know about your child. And, you know, so um, I like the family spokesman idea. I think that's an excellent idea because you're so out of it. And also what Lou said, you call a press conference so that, and when you do that, you just alert the media that we're going to have this press conference at this day and time. You make one statement. They all get it. And, and, and they get what they're looking for, and then they don't hound you quite so much. But to do it one TV station or one newspaper at a time is drawn out, and that's not necessary. You know, a high-profile case also, a murder case, is that uh, I think most families uh, probably have a, a victim advocate, a community base, or a okay. system base. And uh, they, they, they can really be helpful because they have the experience of working with the media, and they can be that liaison uh, person uh, for you to, to connect. I always uh, suggest that after, uh, you know, um, an arraignment or, uh, or or trial or a sentencing as that we go off into a private area in, in the courthouse and the prosecutor the DA office will set that up. Mm-hmm. And that way you have a, a, a setting where uh, you're uh, more private and, and, and you have people in there that you trust and there's not a lot of spectators or uh, defendant's family uh, around. Right. Well, uh, listen, Lou, how can people get a hold of your uh, book, Coping with Traumatic Grief Homicide? Well, they can uh, uh, go to my website. Um, yeah, give uh, that. That is uh, vcvs.org. So that's victorcharlievictorsam.org. And, uh, and then, and then uh, you'll click on uh, the button that says books, and uh, you can order it off the, uh, off the, the website. Great. Well, yeah, thank you so much for being on, and I know it's helped Diane out there and all those people that are dealing with the media. Thanks a lot, Lou. It's great to talk to you again. Nice to talk with you, Lou. Yeah, okay. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Well, Diane, uh, I think that was great for Lou to come on, and uh, good to talk to him. Now, um, we were talking about your book, uh, Alan, that you've done. Could you talk a little bit about it? Because what we were talking about is what you found out from people that have been bereaved that are moving you along in the book. How, right. how, what is it the most, the things, the ones that you find that they're dealing best? They're, right. they're well, thriving I, and that they have a quality of life, you said, right? That's right. People that have, have resumed a quality of life. And, you know, it, it's so true. I heard it said early on that, you know, parental grief is so unique. Grief is unique anyway. We all grieve differently. And I found that to be so true. But what was amazing to me, is, I've used the word amazing like 50 times. I think I should have to, like, coin that. Right. What, really, what really I found the most interesting is that there are common traits among parents that have moved forward or that have resumed a quality of life. I call it 
my four H's mm-hmm. of of successfully going through grief, and I don't know how much time we have here, but I, I briefly... You can probably whip your own, and by the way, we're going to uh, hear more of Alan's music in the next um, segment. Well, these four H's, and I'll briefly say it, the first one is hope, and these parents have found hope, and they... And, and I explore it, and, and they find hope in different ways, some through their faith, some through other people that they meet, such as at the Compassionate Friends. Some simply find their hope in the fact that they really believe they're going to see their child again someday. They don't want to have to explain to their child why they couldn't get out of bed for 30 years or why they stopped living or why they only told the world how their child had died and didn't tell the world how their child had lived. So I find that people have found hope in you know, any one of those three areas or a combination. The second H that I find is help. These people help in some way. They set up chairs at a meeting. They help their neighbor. They, they in some way in life, are giving help, but they also know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And they never get too lonely on some island out there, and that's the second H. The third H, which is my favorite to write about, is honor. These parents and families consciously do things in their life to honor their child's memory. And some of the stories that I have gotten from people, and, and, and you know, not everybody can write books and do CDs or build multi-million dollar foundations and honor their children. Some of my favorites are the smallest little things. There's a gentleman I met in New Hampshire who every morning when he goes through the toll booth on his way to work, pays his toll and the car behind him, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's 35 cents, and leaves a card with the toll operator to give the next car that says, this is in honor of my son, which I just find a beautiful story. But anyway, they honor yeah. their children in some way. And then the fourth H is healing. And when I see somebody with hope, health, and honor, I always see healing. And the amazing thing about healing, as I use that word again, is that it is a process. Boy, if I've learned anything from these parents, it's not an event. We all want it to be where we take a pill or the televangelist lays a hands on us and, boy, we're just healed. But it really is a process. And I tell people this story. I was in Colorado Springs playing music a couple of years ago. Do you know what we're going to do after the year four? And you're going to have to tell us the story when we come back from oh, break. <laughs> it's time for us to go to break now. And my guest is... Um, what is your name, Alan? <laughs> Alan Peterson. <laughs> and Alan is a songwriter, and he's written a couple of beautiful albums. Uh, I would say kind of honoring your daughter, Ashley, who was killed in an automobile accident. This, uh, Her death has changed Alan's life completely. She died in uh, 2001, and he's written a couple of CDs, one Ashley's songbook, and, uh, and the second a little further down the road. And uh, he is doing a book called Learning to Live, Love, Laugh, and Love After Loss. If you want to really see something fun from the heart and find it and follow somebody's journey, go to Alan's website. And, Alan, give us that website. It's www.everashleymusic.com. It's E-V-E-R-A-S-H-L-E-Y music.com. Great. And you can also, I Googled him, but you need to put um, that he is a singer. <laughs> That's what I put, and I got it. When I went to your name, Alan Peterson, without singer, I didn't get you. But when I went to Alan Peterson, singer, there we were. It's that last name that gets people because it's P-E-D-E-R-S-E-N. So oh, good, yeah. 
I don't know. Is it, is it Pedersen? Is that how you say it? It's really Peterson, but it, it looks like Pedersen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our audience knows that that's how it's spelled. All right, um, Alan, uh, we wanted to play another one of your songs, but before we do, um, I wanted you to tell us about it. Well, this song is uh, called Tonight I Hold This Candle, and I've written many songs in my life, and I don't think I've ever had one that has been this impactful, not only for myself, but it's just had its its own journey. And uh, in Atlanta, the National Conference for the Compassionate Friends was in Atlanta in 2003, and uh, the centerpiece on the table at one of the dinners one night that they gave away were these beautiful candles, butterfly candles, and there's a story I tell about how I en- I sponsored one for that conference and how I ended up taking that uh, candle that I sponsored home with Ashley's name on it. Wow. But we had a candle lighting ceremony that night that was one of the most emotional things I had ever experienced. Yeah, we were there. With that bagpipe player playing amazing. Oh, coming from the distance. Oh, that I was so amazing. You talk about amazing. That is amazing. And, yeah, it, and is. it so touched me. And I went back to my room, and if you remember, that was July 4th. Let me, let me say to our audience a little bit what it's like. If you haven't been to a national conference, you really ought to go. You've got 400 people that are lighting a candle, or you know, for one candle, and this whole room is filled with 400 people who have lost family members, you know, children, siblings, and whatever, and everybody's there, and, it's, and the, the lights are dim, and then a bagpipe, a uh, man playing the, playing the bagpipe comes from the distance, and Alan, take it from there. Well, it just, I was so moved by it, like nothing had moved me. And I went back to my room, and if you recall, it was July 4th weekend. Mm -hmm. I was on the 20th floor of the hotel, and I thought that was some kind of sign, because Ashley would have been 20. And I sat Uh there with fireworks going off in the distance, and I wrote this song, or I started the workings of this song, which I really just wanted to describe what we all feel Mm -hmm. when we hold those candles, as small a light as they may be, just really what we're feeling, and that's what this song is all about. Okay, let's hear it. This candle says I miss you This candle is saying I remember you When I'm holding it toward heaven Feels like you are near If you're looking down tonight And see this candle burning bright It says I'm wishing you were here In the glow of this candle I can almost see your smile And it carries me away For a little while To another time Another place When all it took to Light up my world Was your beautiful face This candle says I love you This candle says I miss you This candle is saying I remember you 
when I'm holding it toward heaven feels like you are near if you're looking down tonight and see this candle burning bright it says I'm wishing you were here someday Alan, thank you. That uh, song is absolutely fabulous, and I know our audience is just going to love listening to it on the CD as well as on the show. So um, go to your you, they pick it up by going to your website. They can buy those CDs. Yes, uh, they're they're available on the website, or it'll tell you how to get both of them. And Great. I appreciate that very much. Give us your website again, quick before we end. www.everashleymusic.com. E V E R A S leymusic.com Well, Alan, thanks so much for being on the show. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.